Amen. You may be seated. We are in Psalm 133. Wonderful it is to hear your voices. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. We praise your name, O Lord, our God. We praise you for the gift of the church, the bride of Christ. We praise you because you have not left us to walk our earthly pilgrimage alone, but have given us spiritual fathers and mothers, sisters, brothers, and children. So Lord, use your word today to protect our unity and to increase our love for the family of God, your family, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The word of the Lord. So we begin a new series today entitled, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend. And this is a continuation really of our, of our study in the Psalms, where we've been looking at the main two expressions of faith in the life of a Christian, which are the Sunday gathering and life groups. So in part one, we looked at the Sunday gathering. Now in part two, we will look at our life groups. But the whole study is really an explanation, a celebration of the importance and goodness of spiritual family. Now, I've been your pastor now for four and a half years, and I can tell you that of the few churches that I've been a part of, this church has uniquely embraced some important gospel truths. We've embraced the primacy of God's word for all of life. I've seen a hunger for scripture, a thirst for wisdom. I've seen a willingness to hear the challenge and the welcome with which Jesus summons every human soul. You are a word of God loving people. We have embraced the mandate to serve the world, whether it is serving the elderly or youth at risk, whether it's fighting against human trafficking or against abortion, whether it's feed, feeding poor families or educating orphans around the world. We are learning what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. We've also embraced the call to fill God's house. I often hear people who come here and visit, they say, wow, this church has so many young people, so many young families. They say that because culturally we don't expect young people to be excited about church. And yet the reality is that we do have many children and many young adults and many young families and not a few middle-aged and older people. Those are all the demographics that make up our city, and we're delighted that they're here because we want to reach them all for Christ. But I've heard so many of you who want your friends, your family, your children and grandchildren to come in and meet their maker and be transformed forever. And so these are all reasons to rejoice in the work of God and the faithfulness of his people. And as, and as the Apostle Paul often says, we want to abound more and more in these things. Now, there is another area in which we've made significant progress, another biblical reality where we've made significant progress, but not nearly what the death of Jesus requires. Not nearly where we want to be. We want to rightly call ourselves a New Testament church. 
Not nearly to a point where our identity, our primary, primary identity as a people of God comes from our Savior and not from our Western individualistic nation. And that is the biblical reality of spiritual family. Spiritual family. Jesus came to gather the family of God. He came to purchase by his death a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It was that way from the very beginning of his ministry as he called these 12 men uh, who came from different backgrounds and personalities, but he taught them how to live as spiritual family and not kill each other. And then he expanded that to include many more men and women who became his followers, um, his disciples, and who became the nucleus of the church once it launched after his resurrection and ascension back to the Father. And they ate together. They worshiped together. They served one another. They suffered together. They together transformed the Roman world in less than three centuries. And so this is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who belongs to the family and mission of Christ. And yet, most Christians today would define a Christian as someone who believes in Jesus. Now, what's the difference? The difference is that I can say I believe in Jesus and never come into his family or mission. And yet, that's a figment of the Western imagination with no biblical authority. You see, to be a Christian, yes, I must believe in Jesus. But Jesus is the one who calls me into his family and into his mission. And so we're doing these sermons, this series, so that we can prioritize and highlight for us all the need to be part of the family of God, the church. And if you, have, if you listen to the sermons for the last four weeks and you're not a member of this church, you need to become one. And if you say, well, I don't know that this is a church for me, that's fine. But then you need to go find a church where God will place you, where you can commit yourself. Because I've always said this, it's better for you and for the kingdom of God that you be a committed member somewhere than a loose attender here with us. And so you have to find where God is place, placing you and be a part of that family of God. And as we're highlighting the family of God, we're saying that we're to belong to the family, but also belong to a live group. Now, why a life group? Because Jesus calls us to be disciples and disciple makers, and you can do neither of those things on your own. You see, for us to follow the salvation and the ways of Jesus, we need a community to help us. For us to teach others to follow the ways and salvation of Jesus, we need a community to help us. And so a life group is the church in bite size. A live group is an extension of the Sunday gathering. It allows us to do during the week the things that God impresses on our hearts on Sunday. Because you see, you could come here on Sunday and only be hearers of the word. But that's an obedience to God. In order for us to obey God, we must be doers of the word, as James tells us. And to be doers of the word, we need spiritual family. Listen just to all these different commands that God gives to us in the New Testament that we are to express one to another. Scripture tells us to be at peace with one another, to love one another, to live in harmony with one another, to not pass judgment on one another, to welcome one another. The Bible tells us to instruct one another, to eat with one another, to care for one another, to bear with one another, to be kind to one another and forgive one another. 
Scripture tells us to address one another with spiritual songs, to encourage one another, to seek to do good to one another, to stir one another up to love and good deeds, to show hospitality to one another. How are we going to show hospitality to someone we're not in relationship with? Tells us to serve one another and to clothe one, ourselves with humility toward one another. I mean, if you think about it, for us to be able to really obey those 18 commands right there, we need spiritual family. We need a live group because there is not one person that comes here on Sunday that is able to obey all those things I just read, all those scriptures just on Sunday. We need one another. We need spiritual family. We need a live group. Now, many of you here get this so well, and you've come, Christ has transformed your life, and you know that he has a family for you and a mission for you to be a part of, and you have been learning what it means to live in spiritual family. Now, many of you don't get this yet, and so the hope of these uh, series, of these talks, is that you will be able to understand better uh, why we need the spiritual family. Now, there may be many reasons why you don't really get that. Maybe you grew up in a broken family where there was no trust. Or maybe you have a thin grasp of the commands of Jesus and the spiritual attack on your soul. Or maybe you bought into a faulty definition of success. Maybe you bought into a definition of success by accumulation, right? That as we accumulate money or knowledge or praise or these different things that that's what makes us successful but scripture defines success by healthy relationships with God and with one another and by generational influence and so without the family of God we're not going to be okay but we may think we're fine if we just have God and have scripture and and we can go in and out but that's not what scripture gives to us and so we can be in denial and so the goal is that as we hear these sermons, as we hear these scriptures, we'll be able to go, I need the spiritual family. Listen, 2020 has been insane. Marriages are now making it. Fear and anxiety are overwhelming many. Isolation and, um, and just the general state of things, instability, are bringing out the worst in so many people. And the sad part is that so many have cut themselves off from spiritual family at a time when they needed the most we need one another we need the spiritual family and so let's learn from this short but delightfully inviting psalm psalm 133 what a piece of gold let's start with the first point come into the family this psalm is inviting us all wherever we come from to come into the family look at verse one behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity when the people of God dwell in unity this psalm belongs to the Psalms of Ascent which is a collection of 15 psalms from 120 to 134. And this is a, a, a collection of songs that the Jews would sing as they made their way, their pilgrimage to Jerusalem yearly for the most important festivals. Now, this one psalm we're looking at is a song that's inviting us to ponder, to ponder the goodness of spiritual family. And it begins with this Hebrew word, hine, which is behold. Behold. The word behold is a word of emphasis, a word of invitation. Like when a wine sommelier pours you a glass and says, taste. Or like when an art curator takes the veil off a wonderful painting and says to you, behold, take in the beauty. 
And so what behold here does for us is it, it's the, the writer saying to us, I am lifting up for you a sketch of a life worthy of your reflection. A kind of being in the world worthy of your reflection. And so he says, how good and pleasant it is. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In unity. How good. Now where else do we hear those words, how good, in Scripture? Well, Genesis 1 is one of those places. In Genesis 1, after God created the light, we read, and God saw that it was good. Then when God calls the land earth and the water seas, we read, and God saw that it was good. Then when the earth springs forth vegetation, we read, and God saw that it was good. Then when God sets the two great lights to rule the day and the night, we read, and God saw that it was good. Then when God creates uh, sea creatures and many kinds of birds, we read, and God saw that it was good. Then when God creates land animals and creeping things, we read, and God saw that it was good. So yes, even creepy crawlers get God's thumbs up. You may not like spiders, but God does. And then finally, when God creates male and female, and he looks around at everything that he has created, we read, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So this is the seventh time that we hear this refrain, it was good, it was good, it was very good, so that we're shocked when we get into Genesis 2, and the narrator drops into specifically the creation of humankind after Adam has been created, but before Eve was created, and then we read, then the Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. So everything that God has created receives his commendation, but the first thing that is not good is no community, no relationship, no family. God did not create us to live on earth alone. And so the very next thing in Genesis 2 that God does is he creates woman. Now, how many guys are pumped when you come to Genesis 2 and you read that God created the woman. Let me see. Yes. No, not enough hands. Come on, you guys. I know the gyms have been closed for five months. We got to work out that shoulder, bring up that arm. How many guys, let's do this again. How many guys are pumped? Yes, two hands for Noah. That's all. Oh, look at that. Yes, when we read that God created woman, the world would be a pit without women. We need women des desperately. Here's the thing. That's the next thing that God creates because without man and woman, we have no family. No marriage, no family, no society. I don't care if you hear a million times on social media or through different uh, news outlets or books or whatever, we have no marriage, no family, no society without a man and a woman coming together. And that's the very thing that Psalm 133 celebrates. How good and pleasant it is when family, spiritual family, as we're going to see, dwells in unity. Now, the pursuit of happiness and freedom in our culture is always often pursued at the expense of family and community. And so we have people who are very fragmented. You know, we, again, we, we have been taught to think that we are the product of our choices. Not of our family of origin, but we're the product of our choices. And that if we don't do what our heart tells us to do, we're not going to be happy. And so many times people go and they pursue this definition of success, like we said earlier, that's all about having, all about uh, accumulating more titles, more money, more praise, more whatever it may be. 
And oftentimes we pursue those things at the expense of family. Now take, for example, the hugely successful Marvel movies, you know, which I love. You know, but think of how many of those characters don't really have any meaningful family attachments. I mean, where were Captain America's mom and dad? You know, where, where are the Hulk siblings? That's why he's so mad. He has no love in his family, you know. And Thor does have a brother, but that relationship is as dysfunctional as they come. Or think of a documentary of a hugely successful person that you've watched. I mean, we've seen so many of these where people are successful, but oftentimes that success came as they stepped over every person of worth in their lives. But see, what we ask is, well, do they do it their way? Because if they did it their way, then that's what matters to us in the American narrative of success. What the gospel invites us into is something so much richer. It's a definition of success that is so much richer and that involves spiritual family. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You know, there's a psalm that I love. Psalm 15, verse 17. It says, better is small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. But we want the fattened calf. Even if when it comes time to eat it, we're all alone. You see, what's beautiful in God's eyes is the, the goodness of people, the people who be, believe in him dwelling in unity together. And so I will say to all of you lone Christians, come, come into the family. Change your definition of success. Number two, come with harmony. So come into the family and come with harmony. Because here's the thing, worse than being all alone is living with others in strife. There are so many marriages dissolving right now in various parts of the world, you know, during this present pandemic, because people figure life is too short to be miserable and we are miserable together. The kind of family that the gospel invites us into is a unified family. That's why it says how good and pleasant it is when Brothers dwell, not in strife, in unity. In unity. You see, our unity must be protected. It must be protected. Anna and I have been married now for 21 years. And this last year, I would say, has been the one that we have to fight the most intensely to protect our unity. I mean tears uh, from both of us. And much prayer and long long talks, and the counsel of others. And I would not say that it's been easy, but it's been worth it. Because our mutual understanding is now stronger, so that we're ready and able to say, let's do another 21, and not be dismayed, right? Not feel like a high school student that has 50 algebra problems ahead to solve. I know some people like that, but not most of us, right? That's not how you wanna feel about your marriage. You wanna be ready to go. Let's do this. You see, unity must be protected. Well, for the spiritual family, the family of God, the way that we protect our unity is by our allegiance to God's word. Above race, above politics, above money, above education, above gender or age group or personality, we proclaim, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. He's the defender of our unity. He's the bestower of our unity. And we give expression to that unity, right? So it's something that God does. We don't do it. He does it for us. But we give expression to that unity in our rich involvement with one another. And there are beautiful things that happen in the context of our life groups. Just recently, I was talking to a couple, and they have a relative with special needs that lives with them. 
which is a heavy, heavy responsibility. But they were sharing how people in their group have surrounded them so many times and helped them either when they were going out of town or simply when they needed a hand. And what's the net result of that? That everyone is refreshed. Everyone is strengthened as we learn to live as spiritual family. Or take our group. You know, about four months ago, I heard from Laura Robinson that she was going to read the Bible in one month, which I've never done. And I thought, well, I can't do that, but I could maybe, maybe three months. And so I prayed about that, and I was excited. Uh, I had never read the Bible in three months. And as I shared with my group one night, I was like, hey, you guys, I'm going to do this. Pray for me. They started saying, well, I'll do that with you, and I'll do that with you. And then seven of us, seven, seven of us ended up doing this thing together. But you see, we were we were feeding on the word of God, and, and knowing that we are pulling for each other, praying for one another, doing that together, what, what does that kind of thing do? It strengthens all of us as a body. Let me give you this illustration. Say that you go to a live theater performance. You go to see Hamilton or Les Mis, uh, a great show, and, and so you go there, and the actors are working hard to put on the show. They're sweating, they're tired, and the audience is raptured, having the best time. Well, the actors are putting on the show. They're serving the audience. But here's the question. Who's having the better time? The audience or the actors? At the end, when the curtain call is done and the actors line on the stage and they hold hands and the audience gives them a standing ovation, who's having the best time? The actors or the audience? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell because everyone is refreshed. Everyone is satisfied. Everyone is encouraged. And you see, that's what it's supposed to be like in the family of God. There's a proverb that I love. Proverbs 11.25, and it says this, whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Love that proverb. Whoever refreshes others will herself be refreshed. That's the kind of dynamic that makes the church a place like no other in the world, where we are here about outdoing one another in showing honor. When we bring all of our treasure our money, our time, our talents, our gifts from the Holy Spirit. We bring all of that and we're all in. If you're gonna gamble, gamble with that. Although it's not a gamble. But put all your chips in to build the family of God. The result will be that everyone is refreshed. And that's our last point. Come be refreshed. So come into the family. Come in harmony. Come be refreshed. What the psalm writer does here is he gives us these two pictures, these two images of the refreshment that comes to the people of God as we live together in unity. Those pictures are oil and dew. Let's read it one more time. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. So this is a poem. This short psalm is a poem. And how do you capture the goodness of family life? How do you capture the goodness of a home, of a family where there is joy and love and sweetness? Surely you've met families like this, haven't you? I know we have, many. There's a specific family in Florida 
who is like this for us, the Pine family. The Pine family are heroes in Morales family history. My daughter, Rain, just recently wrote an, an essay and posted it on her blog about this very family. But how do you capture that? How do you capture that, that essence, that air that you, that you breathe in, that you take in as you come into a home where there is the pleasantness of love? And the answer is fragrant oil. As the poet, as the poet is thinking about this, he says, that's what it's like. That's what it's like when there's a family and they're unified and they're full of love. It's like fragrant oil. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard. You see, Israel is a dry climate and people did a lot of walking and temperatures could go high. And so when guests came into your home, you offer them water for their feet and oil for their head. And as this oil would run down the head, the face, the beard, the aroma, the fragrance would begin enveloping them and penetrating their nose, their lungs, their whole being. How refreshing. I know some of you are thinking now, I knew my essential oils were biblical. But then the poet takes us in the direction of the precious oil running down on the beard of Aaron. Now, who is Aaron? Aaron is the first priest of Israel. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, and he and his family were assigned the priesthood, which would represent God to the people and the people to God. And there was this special recipe of myrrh and sweet-smelling cinnamon that was holy, that was to be used only to anoint the tabernacle and the ark and the many utensils for the sacrificial system. And as the whole, all of that is being anointed for worship, it was being consecrated as holy, holy unto the Lord. But the priests also, Aaron and his sons, were also to be consecrated by this same oil that could be used for nothing else. And so just think, as they're being consecrated with this oil, the fragrance rises and fills the whole house. But not only is it the beard, the beard of Aaron that the oil runs down on, but it's also the collar of his robes. Now, why is that important? Because you see, on the chest of the priestly garments, there were 12 stones, 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel in three rows of four. And so you can just picture the oil soaking up the tribes. The family of God, near to the priest's heart, but even closer to the heart of God. You see how important the family and the unity of the family is to God? How precious it is? And would you, lone Christian, not come in because you're too busy? Because you're pursuing other things, your career, your hobbies, your isolated way of doing life? Why would you do that? The family of God, the unity of the family is precious, like precious oil to God, refreshing, filling up the room with the unity. You see, that unity won't happen if we just simply come in and go out. And there is no deep or depth of relationship one to another. You will never grow up in the faith without meaningful relationship in the spiritual family. You will not be about the mission of reaching the world for Christ without the spiritual family. It will not happen. 
all the things of the world will take over your life and you'll barely be trying to hold on to, oh, I believe in Jesus. We need spiritual family. It's why God gave it to us and it's why here in this psalm is being described in such a beautiful way. So refreshing. And then we have the dew of Hermon. Because he says, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, live forevermore. Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet high, over 9,000 feet high. And is miles, over 100 miles away from Jerusalem. It was snow-capped for two-thirds of the year. And so from the dry land of Israel, where between May and October there's barely any rain. You could see Mount Hermon in the distance in all its moist glory. Because you see, without rain or dew, the land would be parched for months on end. And so the dew of Hermon, this is poetic, poetic language, the dew of Hermon running down on the mountains of Zion. Zion is the city of God. It's Jerusalem. It's where God has assigned the blessing. So he says the dew of Hermon is life which is precisely where he ends the poem. He says, there, in the, on the mountains of Zion, there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. You see, oil and dew are images of the blessed life that runs down into the people of God and out in, onto the world from the unity, the unity of God's people. And so celebrate the gift of spiritual unity. Celebrate the gift of spiritual unity. Unity, it is precious, it is life, it is blessing from God. Life is fragrant, death is putrid. Life is refreshing and fertile, death is dry and sterile. But do you see how wonderful and how important to God is this unity that is so refreshing not only to us, the people of God, but also to the world because the entire world is in desperate need of this refreshment, of this unity. And yet this unity has always been a challenge from the very beginning of the very first brothers, Cain and Abel, and then Jacob and Esau, and then Joseph and his brothers. And let's not even talk about David's sons or the schism between Israel and Judah or the hatred between the Samaritans and Jews. And this is just the people of God. The rest of the nations of the world were worse. Unity is difficult. You see, in our culture, we think that the best we can do is remain distant. The best unity that we can achieve is if we remain distant from one another, even from our families, which is why our interpersonal bonds can be so thin. It's one of the reasons social media is so popular, because you can have the, the appearance of closeness without the substance. Because people say, you know, we're going to be cordial but distant. That's better than being tight with strife. And yet what the gospel invites us into is living, dwelling together. Dwelling together in unity. So come into the family. Come with harmony. Come be refreshed. My prayer is that we, that anyone and everyone here who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus would be in meaningful relationship with the body of Christ. And that as others come into our Sunday gathering or into our live groups and they see us and they get to know us, they will smell the sweet fragrance 
of the gospel life wafting through the air and that it would envelop them and penetrate their whole being. That's my prayer. You see, through us, God is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. And the world is starved for this aroma. Now, let me leave you with this. Jesus, just before he died, a few days before his death, he went to a dinner party. And at that party, there was a woman. And this woman brought a full jar of perfume, and she broke it on his head, and it poured down, and Jesus loved it. He loved it. The people there at the dinner criticized her. What a waste. But Jesus says, leave her alone. What she's done is beautiful. She, has, she says, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. This woman gave this lavish anointing to the Lord without knowing she was preparing him for burial. And you can just think, think of the fragrance on the Lord's body filling up the whole house. That is the fragrance that every household in the world desperately needs. The fragrance of the body of Jesus Christ. The fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The reason my family is special is not because we share four walls. No, it's special because we share four walls in the name of Jesus Christ. The name that everyone here and everyone out of here desperately needs. And so church, we will not as a church effectively spread the knowledge of the fragrance of Jesus Christ apart from spiritual family. It will not happen. And so I plead with those of you who perhaps are only loosely connected to this church family to come in, come into the family, come with harmony, come be refreshed, and come be refreshing to many others. Don't cheapen the name of Christian by simply saying you believe in Christ, but not being in the family, being a part of the mission. Let your identity, your deepest identity, come from your Savior, not from our individualistic culture. And join, join us as we together spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ far and wide. In coming weeks, we're going to be promoting our groups. And I would just encourage you to go before the Lord. If this is not something that's been a part of your life, this feels uncomfortable to you, this is your, you can find many excuses why ah, I can't do that. Let me encourage you, go to the Lord. And ask him about this. Because I do believe that this is a time when we need the church to be the church. And to be together. And to be spiritual family. So that we can present the aroma of Christ to our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the medicine, the food that your word is to us. Father, thank you for Psalm 133. Thank you for teaching us about the goodness, the pleasantness of spiritual family dwelling in unity. Lord, for some of us, we've never known family that is healthy. And so the concept of creating spiritual family with others is daunting, is foreign to us. So Father, I ask you, would you lead us all, would, would you gently lead us all into a deeper understanding of the spiritual family that we have in Christ. Father, I do pray for every household that is represented here. Lord, I pray that they, they would have 
that precious oil running down on the face, on the beard, refreshing them. I pray that their homes would be marked with love and joy and peace and sweetness. That every time that people come into their home, they would be able to smell that fragrance. And it would be life-giving to them. But Father, I pray for us as the body of Christ, as descendants from Israel. Father, I pray that we would also embrace spiritual family and that we together would go out and watch you transform the world one life at a time. We love you. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. The full earth is full of your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.